Hello and welcome to the Whistling Podcast. I'm your host, Abby Blinkwater. Today we have a very special episode of the Whistling Podcast. We are speaking with celebrity singer, songwriter, existentialist, Tyler Burba. Hello, Tyler. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Abby. It's been a pleasure, uh, or it is a pleasure, I should say, and it has been a pleasure to listen to the podcast. And I've been a big fan of yours for many years, so this is a dream come true for me. Thank you very much. First thing we do on the Whistling Podcast is ask the most important question, can you whistle? Uh, Yes, I I can, but uh, I don't know, probably not up to the level that uh, your podcast listeners would deem me a whistler. Um, I kind of do kind of a a strange whistling uh, armature that is kind of, I don't know, uh, not kosher in the whistling community. It's kind of controversial. I've been punched in the mouth when I've whistled at other whistling events for what people call as, you know, fouling the mouth of the whistler or the god whistler, whatever that means. So um, I, I won't do that to blaspheme the whistling community right now, but I I can whistle, yes. I did whistle on, on a Snow Boots record a long time ago because... Uh, my brother, who's a very good whistler, was not present, so I had to do the whistling. Well, uh, we have a three-part whistle test. Okay. Part one, whistle to summon a cab. Well, that's the asshole whistle. And yes, it is. Even though a lot of people who are present in this meeting would think of me as an asshole, I think that as soon as you learn how to do that with the two fingers, you basically are dropped down to the level of, of the lowest level of asshole. Um, so I've refused to learn how to do that whistle because I'm already close enough. I'd like to show you that you don't need fingers. Okay, let's see it. The second part, whistle in surprise. Ah, not bad, all right. And the third part is uh, whistle the Irish Spring commercial. Ah, clean as a whistle. You have a new album coming out. What's the name of your album? The new name of the album is called Existential Hymns. This is what it looks like. Very good. Uh, You've chosen December 8th as the release date of your album. Why did you choose that date? That is the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And I felt that was the perfect date to release this album since I like to think of this as an immaculate conception. It's an immaculate concept album. That uh, date also has another significance. You know what that is? That would be the day John Lennon was assassinated, am I right? Or is it his birthday? No, it was the day he was killed by Yoko Ono. Yes, December 8th, 1980. 
All right. That's a whole different podcast series. Yes. The name of your album is Existential Hymns. Do you consider yourself to be an existentialist? Um, that's a very good question. I think that I'm dealing with existential issues, but existentialism has a whole trajectory and all these sub-schools that I don't think you want to get into, even getting into Ayn Rand and kind of neocon ideology about personal responsibility and other bullshit like that as if, you know, privilege wasn't a thing or being born into certain wealth it wasn't a thing. So um, I wouldn't call myself an existentialist uh, for those tainted reasons, but I definitely um, deal with existential issues on a daily basis. Every time I look in the mirror in the morning, every time I see my reflection in a cup of coffee. I see. I should say cup of Sanka. Do you see clouds in your coffee? Yes. Well, let's say you wanted to give a, a, a very basic definition of existentialism. What would it be? There you have it. Oh, here's my idea of ex existentialism. A, the universe has no purpose. B, you get to choose your purpose. C, live until you die. How does that sound to you? C. Rob chooses answer C. Yeah, I... I mean, well, I don't know if you could you could say that A is true because we don't know if the universe has a purpose, but um, it's not a purpose that we can necessarily know. It's definitely not a belief in a personal, a personal power that actually cares about what we do on a daily basis, whether we um, perform certain rituals, who we have sex with, the kind of meat we eat. Um, whether we cut our hair. Um, yeah, so the universe doesn't care about those things. But, you know, we don't know what the purpose of the universe is. You know, purpose of the universe might be gravity. So Maybe I got it all wrong. I need to go back to the books. But, but you're absolutely right about uh, the live until you die. That's the personal responsibility. So the, the meaning of life is, I guess my definition of existentialism is that... Um, Everything might be meaningless, but it's not meaningless to you, and it's up to you to decide what the meaning that you gain out of life is, and mm -hmm. and um, what's important to you, and important to your friends and family, and that's enough. And you don't need to have some kind of uh, higher being or personal god to make it have any meaning. It already has enough meaning in your interpersonal relationships and for yourself. That's beautiful. So it's coming, yeah, it's coming to terms with, with the, those issues. But of course, you know, there's the big D. I'm not talking about um, dick. I'm talking about um, death. And so you have to come to terms with that, and then you have to figure out, okay, well, what's, what's the meaning of life if you know that the big D is waiting just right around the corner at any moment? Yes, the big dick. Big Dick is waiting around the corner any moment, too. And many a times I've run into that. And that's an awkward moment. And, and there's, that's a whole separate album. But um, that'll be the Conjugal Visit album. Yes. Have you uh, named your next album? Conjugal Visit, yeah. Conjugal Visit, all right. Not the Big Dick. All well, right. it's not called, it's just called Visit. Uh, the band's name is Visit. And then just Conjugal is the name of the album. So. All right, that's nice. 
No, I'm just I'm just kidding. The uh, next album is going to be called Exit Airs, which is all about starting over and and exiting the scene. Um, not necessarily dying, but um, that's that's an aspect of it. But um, just starting over and uh, having the freedom to start over whenever you want, which I know everyone in this chat has done. So it's very exciting. Well, let's go back to the beginning. Why is your band named Visit? Well, Visit it was coined by Tom Peters, the beat book shop proprietor and beat author and alienator of all customers. Um, Tom was an old friend of mine and a drinking buddy, and we were spitballing band names, and he came up with, he said, oh, Visit would be a good band name, and so that's, I went with that. And actually, the term existential hymns was coined by somebody else, not me. It was uh, his mixing engineer that I've worked with quite a bit. Um, not not the great Rob Weston, but a guy named Dave Cisco, and he said, you know, you need a you need a name for what you do, and he just he came up with the term existential hymns. So that's stuck. All right. Who has been your biggest influence in songwriting? Probably Neil Sedaka. Neil Sedaka, yes, uh, that's that's a good choice. In what ways has Neil Sedaka influenced your songwriting? Well, especially like what he does with um, when you can't come up with a lyric, he would come up with down dooby doo dow dow, comma comma down dooby doo dow dow, comma comma down dooby doo dow dow, breaking up is hard to do. So it, it's it's a good method for you don't let the, your loss of words hold you up in your songwriting. You can just put out you know gibberish words and then then let then the flow will come. So it's kind of like a little Zen koan that you sing as you're you're as you're writing your song until the words come. And so every time I pick up a guitar, ukulele or kazoo or banjo or harmonium, and I just start with. Uh, down to be do down down comma comma and then you know i'm gonna miss me when i'm gone just comes just flows right out of that so uh what instruments do you play on the album um i play guitar i play let me look at the liner notes here i've forgotten i sing i play guitar i, I did some upright bass i did some uh, I think one track I played electric bass on. I played banjo, piano, some keyboards, mandolin. We have uh, many special guests here today. Yeah, I'm excited to, to be able to not be talking. What does the name Rob Weston mean to you? Well, um, existentially everything. Um, Rob is really uh, the the glue that brings all this together. He takes my random crazy hundred track uh blobs and shapes them into something that sounds really wonderful and um he really is responsible for this record taking shape and um having the sound that it has so um rob just started out as a as uh mixing for me but uh i felt that his contribution was so great that um he is a co-producer because he advised me on so many things and said, oh, you should uh, play this this type of instrument on this, or you should do your vocals like this, or you should add this section to it. So um, he uh, he did a lot for this album and the previous album, Thank God. 
All right, Rob Weston will join us in a second here. Just one more question. You know I'm a huge gearhead. So uh, what kind of guitars do you play? Uh, I play a Gibson Les Paul. I play a um, Fender Stratocaster. My acoustic is a uh, Martin. Um, I think that's all that's on the on the record. Yeah, those three guitars. Joining us now from New Orleans is Rob Weston. Nola. No love here. Hello, Rob. Welcome to the Whistling Podcast. Thanks, Todd. Or thanks, Abby. Whoops. Edit. <laughs> oh, secret's going to come out one of these days. And don't worry. Don't worry. I always check these names to make sure no one else in the world has them. Okay, good. I always Google search them. That was something I was going to ask you about, but you answered the question for me already. All right. Well, Rob, uh, you are the mixologist on this album. Uh huh. Tyler, I thought you quit drinking, so why would you need a mixologist? <laughs> well, that's exactly why I, I needed a mixologist because I quit drinking. Because your your uh, recordings tend to sound much worse after you quit drinking. Sadly, <laughs> so I really needed some help. <laughs> I make a hell of a mai tai. <laughs> Do you make non-alcoholic drinks as well? Um, I do make non-alcoholic drinks. I just poured myself some water about 10 minutes ago. Boom. My classic mixture. <laughs> <laughs> I like the basics. <laughs> Simple. Rob, you have mixed two of Tyler's albums. Uh -huh. Actually three. Well, three. Three, really. Three. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah the pension, pension album. If you're the academic type and dying to learn more about music and Thomas Pynchon's novels, you might want to procure Pynchon's Sound of Music by Christian Hange. Brought to you by Diaphane's Publishing House and available at tinyurl.com forward slash pension music. Groovy. Think of all the many times you were reading one of Thomas Pynchon's novels, came across one of his lyrics, and yet didn't know how the tune went. Well, you needn't puzzle anymore, for here is an album of interpretations of many of your favorite verses, recorded for your convenience by the band Visit, and containing 18 instant classics. Tap my head and mark my brain, stick that needle in my vein, slide through, snap to, and we so free, out walking by the sea, listen to trains, go
Everybody is one of the finest collections of Thomas Pynchon songs to be released in 2020. It's not available in stores, so visit us at now-everybody.party and order your CD or MP3s, all for the low introductory price of 1937. 1937. Tyler, tell us a little bit about the Pynchon album. Well, the Pension album came out of um, these talks that my uh, friend Christian Hanke uh, did in New York um, on the author Thomas Pension, and he wrote a whole book called Pension's Sound of Music on the, the music and Pension's uh, novels. And Pension not only mentions and drops a lot of references to all kinds of different genres of music and artists, and music's a huge part of his uh of his writing, um, but he also wrote a lot of lyrics. And sometimes there's like direct <clears throat> instructions or allusions that he makes to, oh, this is to the tune of this or whatever. But most of the time it's up for interpretation how the lyrics are supposed to sound. And so when Christian gave a couple talks in New York, he asked me to set a couple of the lyrics to music. And so I did. And then after a while we had enough for an album and so he said, um, you should do an album of these songs. And I said, I will if you produce it. And so that's what came, uh, came about uh, out of that collaboration. We're currently working on a big band project. of uh, So there'll be a volume two of the Pension album where we're going to hire a full big band. And we're currently writing the arrangements for that. So that's in the works. Sounds awesome. People can't get enough big band these days. No. Oh. It's a hot <laughs> genre. <laughs> All right, Rob, I have a question for you. Uh, did you enjoy mixing this album? Um, yes. <laughs> I mean, I loved it. It was sort of like a trial. Like once it's over, it's it's a great feeling. And the process was pretty incredible, but it was really difficult. Um, but in really good ways where I learned a lot and um, had a lot of fun trying to get everything to fit together. So, yeah, I mean, I'd say yes. I'd say yes. <laughs> it was definitely work, though, yeah. <laughs> what was your biggest challenge in mixing this album? Well, some of the songs had a lot of tracks on them, like many instruments, which I mean, Tyler is a is a brilliant uh, arranger and songwriter, and it was incredible. And I would say that it maxed out my skill level of being able to blend tones together to get them all to have a distinct voice within the mix. Um, so it was I, I learned a lot trying to get everything to. Uh, sound distinct yet cohesive okay uh, sorry i started to fall asleep at the end there oh uh, let's see uh, i'll try to be more entertaining uh -huh. <laughs> so rob you've actually you've actually uh played with visit before yeah is I, that I true played, I, it is true yes what instrument do you play i play bass bass okay bass guitar yeah. Bass guitar, electric bass guitar, yeah. Four string. Typically a sting stingray, yeah. Stingray, what uh what company makes stingrays? 
uh, Music Man or Fender, depending on the year. Mine's a Mine's a Music Man. It's 1981, so it's it's post Leo Fender Stingray. Uh, other than mix albums, what do you do uh, during the day? <laughs> I usually sleep during the day um, because at night I'm I, I work at a little bar here in town. Uh, running sound so like last night i got home at about three in the morning mixing a crazy uh metal ska band from nashville that was loud as fuck and my ears are still ringing but it was a great show and uh yeah i can imagine there's some great music yeah the night night before last i did sound for grammy award-winning pianist john cleary who was Bonnie Raitt's piano player for like a decade. And uh, that was that was a pretty amazing show. Crazy old guy. He can really, uh, you know, he can really tinkle the ivories, that guy. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Uh, Rob, do you have any questions for Tyler? Um, do I have questions for Tyler? Like in general, can I ask anything? <laughs> yeah. uh, I'll ask Tyler a question first. Tyler, will you use Rob to mix your next album? Uh, more, more than that, I want Rob to be uh, a real uh, collaborator in the songwriting and arranging of the of the tunes. Um, that's something I, that that I'm aiming for with Exodus is to have it be much more of a collaborative process because it's kind of lonely sitting and writing these songs and then demoing them and then sending them off and then basically kind of dictating, oh, this is what I want it to sound like and then getting some feedback. Just be much better to um, have Rob involved in the whole process. He can guide me with the the recording process, but also um, he had some great insights about uh, arrangements and um, instrumentation and... Um, I, I want to get some of his input on songwriting as well. So um, I'd like him to be much more than just a mixing engineer on the next album. If he'll accept my proposal. <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot, Rob. But... Would you like him to be executive <laughs> producer as well? Well, that requires raising a lot of money. So yeah, I, wouldn't I... Want to, I wouldn't want to burden him with that. These, these albums are really expensive. <laughs> right. The... The Saturday mixing, uh, working a John Cleary show is pretty incredible, but it's not very lucrative, unfortunately. That's why I work with Swiss people, is because <laughs> they have all the money. So that's a, yeah, a good thing. Yeah, about I'll, say, I'll say something about working with Christian. If you want an album to get done fast, get a Swiss producer. <laughs> <laughs> They're all about punctuality, that's for sure. And I'm sure Christian will listen to this. So uh, kudos to Christian for 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 whipping our asses into shape and getting us to get an album out in, in I think it was a year total. Um, yeah. Compare that to with Existential Hymns, which I think we started, I started recording <laughs> with Clint in, on one drunken morning in, in 2015, I think it was. Um, so, you know, that was seven years ago. So It's not bad. <laughs> well rob did you think of a question um no <laughs> but
but um i i will i'll accept the your your proposal tyler i'm i'm in thank you <laughs> well thank you rob we'll get back to you in a minute yeah you're welcome Tyler, what does the name Clint Carlson mean to you? Um, I had a, I worked at an insurance office once in Boulder doing like telemarketing, and I think maybe Clint was like one of the other sales associates or something. Maybe yeah. <laughs> I'm only kidding, of course. Uh, I was the groundskeeper. <laughs> no, I, I I should qualify that. Um, Clint is. Uh, a long time, very close friend. And um, we met in a, not the ideal circumstances for a, a lasting friendship or even a lasting musical collaboration. We, you know, we, uh, we, we met in a band where, you know, I, just to let you know, just to get a sense of how vast the turnover was in this band. I was in the band for three years. I had to quit the band twice and there, you know, within this band, I counted 25 members within those three years, and that doesn't include me and the primary member um, who stood in, stayed in the band the whole time. So basically, all the other members went through 25 members in in three years. So, um, but anyways, um, no, Clint is uh, is my favorite drummer to play with, and he's a brilliant musician in all other ways too. He's a great songwriter. He's just a he just uh lives and breathes music and um i also want him to be uh maybe i'm getting ahead of myself here but uh be much more of a collaborator on this next album or in future albums however they manifest other proposal Have you heard the final mix? Uh, I have. I've been uh, playing all of those songs for uh, quite a while now, and I'm very attached to uh, each and every one. Do you have a favorite song off this album? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, uh, that would probably be Death's Gonna Marry You and Me. That song was actually written for Clint. I never told him that, but yeah, yeah, and I, I can't, I can't, I can't wait until the day finally comes when we can truly be together <laughs> instead of this silly charade that we've been doing since two thousand three. Uh, we can finally get real uh, at some point here. So I guess I just have to. You know, keep getting up and having breakfast, you know, same thing every damn day until at some point um, we can finally unite the way we're meant to unite. Well, it's, it's hard to it's, it's hard to propose to pr propose a romantic relationship with a male friend, but it's really hard to propose one that is a murder suicide pact. So <laughs> really awkward. So I, I figured a, a group Zoom call was the right place to bring it up. But did I say? But did I? Did I say no? I never said no. I didn't say no. Uh, you've you've actually mentioned it to me an awkward number of times at this point, and I'm always all ears. I hear you out. Um, I don't say no. I just listen and kind of wait for that 
conversation to be over because it's uncomfortable. But yeah, it's always the Amway aspect that you refuse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Clint, what city are you coming to us from? I'm hailing from Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, which is uh, where I drove to when I left Boulder, Colorado in 2006. And uh, Visit is sort of like a long-distance relationship. Do you have any projects uh, in in your hometown? Um, not, at the, not at the moment. I played... Um, yeah, the uh, some of the bass work on the uh, the most recent album is by a fellow named Steve Jackson. Um, not a tremendous amount of it because, uh, and even if Steve was here, I would say this, and he would say, "Yeah, you are correct." That he didn't really didn't uh, didn't take enough time to learn the tunes before we uh, actually got into the studio, and so we used most of the drum tracks from that day. Um, uh, Steve is a brilliant um, bass player and uh, one of the most uh, interesting people I ever played music with, but um, he's also can be a bit scattered. So he didn't really get around to crushing the tunes, but um, and now I'm forgetting what, what the question was, if there even was one. No questions, no. All right, uh, well, Clint, do you have any questions for Tyler? Um. In your shower, do you are all the products from the same brand, or do you buy like shampoos and conditioners from different brands? Are you like this is the conditioner that really works for me, and the shampoo's different? Is the body wash different? Are you like I'm a Prell guy, and you have all Prell stuff? I'm just curious. Well, I guess probably 15 years ago, Sally Jesse Raphael had a whole line of uh body care and hair care products. And when she went off the air, I saw the writing on the wall, so I stocked up. So that's been my go-to. What's the name of that brand, though? Sally Harry Raphael? Or what is it? Because that would work. Sassy, it's, it's hard to say. Sassy Sally. Sassy Sally Harry Raphael. <laughs> SJR. All right. Well, Clint, do you have any questions for Rob Weston? Um, yeah, what's, I, I would be curious to, um, uh, to know two things. Um, and they may, they may or may not be the same thing, but what is your um, favorite song from the album? And uh, what was your favorite song to mix? Um. I think that the answer is the same. It's um, shit. It's the uh, it's the tune, the second to last tune that you release as a single, Tyler. What was it called? Um, I'm just blanking out right now. Uh, laughing at the past was the first one. It wasn't. It's it's not laughing at the past. It's the one about Christopher Hitch. Oh, born sick and commanded well, yeah. Yeah, born sick and commanded oh. well. I I really there's so many parts and really great parts and uh it was like going back to the question about whether or not the album was fun to mix or not, like that was the biggest challenge and the biggest like most cathartic 
feeling of accomplishment out of any of the songs to get it to sound i because i could hear it in my head i knew how i wanted it to sound and it was uh it was tough to get it there and i and and just the song like i've had so enough time i decided after we got done mixing it and we were waiting for all the mastering stuff that i wasn't going to listen to the album again until uh tyler sent me the masters so i got to hear it uh, kind of fresh i think uh alan parsons who famously mixed like uh pink floyd's um dark side of the moon he had this thing he was you know mixed a million albums and he said if you take two weeks off and then you listen to a song you've been mixing you have about 45 seconds where you can hear it like a normal person before your mixing brain kicks in and i got about a minute of just like almost feeling like I'd never heard the song before and being like, I would buy this album. This is a fucking great song. So yeah. Born that sick. song is that song is cathartic and the the climax of that song just blows me away yeah. every time. Yeah. What's your le- yeah. what's your least favorite song on the album, Rob? My least favorite song, well it didn't make it onto the album. <laughs> uh <laughs> What was the name of that one, Tyler? It's like I've, for I've blocked a while, anyway. it. Anyway, yeah, we just couldn't find the sound for it, and it was yeah. We tried like hell. <laughs> yeah, I was very disappointed because I, the, the way that Tyler went back and structured the guitar solo around my ramblings on the kit is so interesting and great yeah. i think i think he just crushed it but yeah you want to you want a bigger uh you want yeah, i get it you're going for like that ario speedwagon uh lead guitar I feel i don't know you'll find it you'll find it <laughs> i mean i don't it wasn't <laughs> like performances i don't know what it was man like it just wouldn't fucking come together it was so so frustrating like i can't even it drove me it literally almost drove me insane like i mean that was crazy i think that was my fault though because it was the um we couldn't get the 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 rhythm guitar sound right don't worry we'll bring it back for maybe maybe i should have told you this before i proposed that you work on the next album because i'm thinking we should come back for the next album you're like i I can change my mind (laughs) (laughs) that's true you do no, have that. Right. I love that song. I love that song. I was we'll, we'll get... for that. Michael, can you read back where he said I'm in? <laughs> Legally binding interview. <laughs> yes. The the solo that you played in that in that little bar many years ago in Minneapolis, which the video is on YouTube, you destroyed that solo when we did that with Steve. <laughs> I've watched that so many times. It's incredible. What's the yeah. name of that song? Not for a Not while. Not for a while, anyway.
Uh, talk about each of the tracks on this album. I'll uh, I'll read off the title. You tell me a few words about it. So much more. I lived out of the way of every door I closed, compelled by night to drift toward light and never more. Yeah, so that song's about, um, that really kind of sums up the whole existential mindset. It's like, um, it's that Socratic moment where you realize, you know, you really know nothing and um, you have so much more to go and so much more to learn um, and you'll never get there. Um, that's what that, that's about. And also that, I mean, as musicians, as human beings, as, you know, students of whatever you think you're like striving for oh i'm gonna get to the place the there and you just you know you, you get to a point where you realize oh there's no there there that this constant state of becoming is what life is so you're like oh fuck <laughs> that's it's it's liberating but it's also like oh well that's this it's very exhausting you know which is another aspect of existentialism is that uh, uh, fatigue, you know, it's just like the fatigue of constantly becoming is, uh, is pretty grueling. And especially once you quit drinking, because uh, that certainly helps a lot with the fatigue. Um, or it makes you feel like you've, uh, you're at a place where you aren't really. So, but, uh, but uh, that's, it's also invigorating because, you know, you're not done. So you just keep working. And working, working, working. So much more. All I think is you. Either won't it be What brings its ecstasy That seems like a love song, but uh, I, I mean, I shouldn't be the only one talking about these, but um, All I Think Is You is really about egotism, and All I Think Is You is me. So it's like, uh, it's, uh, it's about uh, your image of yourself and uh, self-awareness and in the kind of negative sense of being self-conscious and projecting an image of yourself uh, for yourself and then trying to overcome that. 
but we should maybe t we could talk about the the mixing and the instrumentations on that because um <clears throat> all i think is you is i think some of the the most brilliant stick work I've heard on any song. And that's kudos to Clint on that. He did this incredible stick work on it. And he, you know, when I recorded all these with Clint, he had none of the backing tracks. It was just me on a guitar and Steve Jackson on bass. And we were in a studio, a great studio in Minneapolis called the Terrarium. And so it was Clint's uh, inventiveness and musicality uh, inspired a lot of what got put on top of it. So when I wrote the strings, you know, speaking of, you know, playing the lead guitar in conjunction with what Clint did, when I wrote the string parts for All I Think Is You, I was really, uh, it was kind of a call and response with what Clint did on the drums with his stick work. I don't know if, I don't know if Clint or Rob has any input on those, but um, I guess not. It's really, it's, no, it's, it's really cool to hear you say that because um, I kind of noticed that and I never put together the order and of operations in which you recorded it and that totally makes sense to me now how the uh the strings really jive with the with the drums on that one so that's cool that's a cool little insight i learned or realization that's that's cool yeah same i mean there, same, there same are... with so much sorry go ahead clint oh i was just gonna say there, there that that pattern's been used a lot and i've, I've always I've always loved it. It's it's very straightforward, but just all you all you're doing is riding the hi hat, but just hammering that cross sticking, um, and it's it's just such a fun. It's almost like a different. It's like a different version of it, just like a train beat, you know. And it's it's a very versatile um, beat that's been used in you know any all styles of music. But the way that we did it, it's fun, and it's, and it's kind of it's just a it's a really fun beat to let it spin out a little bit and play around with it and keep hammering the hats, but then start screwing around with the kick and which happens a lot on that song. But that, that, I, that just particular beat has always been a favorite of mine. And I'm glad that it found a home I'm on, the, on the album. We're very happy with it. It was very, it's a very Stuart Copelandy vibe. Um, yeah. And I, and, <laughs> and, sure. I, and I use, I used some of those, I used some of the old police tricks on that when I was mixing the drums, oh, like a little bit fantastic. of delay. And, yeah. So yep. I, was, I definitely heard ta -ta 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 -ta. Stuart. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, the next track on the album, I, this might be one of my favorites, Bastard Son. It's just because you love the word bastard, I think, right? <laughs> no comment. Morning when it's way, but So Bastard Son, uh, it started out uh, as just an idea that I worked on with uh, Carlton DeWoody uh, when I was in snow boots with him. And we tweaked it a little bit, but it didn't go anywhere. And then I 
rehashed it, and I read this poem by Byron about the sun going out, and I was like, oh, well, those that sounds like a cool lyric, because I never knew what to do with the bastard sun thing for years, and it was originally like baby mastodons was the rhyme with bastard sun, so that was weird. Uh, <laughs> but then the Byron poem came in, you know, where he's like, uh, uh, morning went its way, but brought no day, fires made, fell and fade. Those are all lines from Byron. So I have to thank Lord Byron for helping me with the lyrics on that. But it's basically about the sun going out and, you know, all life as we know it going away. Darkness by Lord Byron. I heard a dream, which was not all a dream. The bright sun was extinguished, and the stars did wander darkling in the eternal space, the rays and the pathless, and the icy earth swung blind and blackening in the moonless air. Morn came and went, and came, and brought no day, and men forgot their passions in the dread of aggressive their desolation, and all hearts were chilled into a selfish prayer. But also deism, too, okay. you know, uh, bastard son, your father's left and gone. You know, it's like uh, the uh, the absent God who just sets the uh, the clockwork of the universe in motion, and then just disappears. But Back once again, arrangement-wise, uh, Clint Clint and Steve came up with this really cool uh, intro, or not? How, I don't know if interjection that they came in, which was really dynamic and fun and creative. So that really made the piece really interesting. I thought so. The beep beep beep. Sept love. All this love, save it for later. Uh, a collaboration with this uh, Costa Rican woman named Allegra Pacheco and we sat around a room one evening and just uh, passed the notebook back and forth and we came up with the lyrics for that and wrote the melody that night that one that one took me oh sorry that one took me like a day to mix as opposed to like a lot a lot of other ones and also for some reason I was watching that show Loki the about the it's like a Marvel universe show where one of the multiverse versions of Loki is an alligator and every time the lion feed the alligator would play through my speakers I would see the alligator version of Loki in my mind and I don't know why but it was it made me laugh every time that's great 
<laughs> I love that. How about laughing at the past? I fell into rage and the light started in Sauceface, Switzerland. I wrote it on a ukulele and never knew what to do with it and then just kept adding more parts to it. That's why there's like 17 different bridges to the song. Um, but then to keep it interesting, I had to, you know, mess with instrumentation. So that's why you have like a one of the verses as a breakdown with a harp and um, there's a breakdown with just strings. Um, yeah. Robert Clint, do you have any comments about that track? No comment. <laughs> Death's gonna marry you and me. Ain't it hurt, ain't it hard when it's plain to see That what should be cannot be Hold each other in the night so the master can't see Death's gonna marry you and me Although I scratch and I search I can't find a way The only way is judgment day If we wake up in the light I'll no longer see Death's gonna marry you Yeah, I'm not really sure what that song's about, um, but uh, I wrote it, it. It came to me very quickly. I was taking a bath and reading this book called Ajima and His Son, which was about the slave, uh, slave life and about a forbidden love on a plantation. And that line came to, my, came to me, and I wrote the rest of the song fairly quickly. One of those nice uh, gifts of, of the God that doesn't exist that... Um, when you uh the song just comes quickly so i have a question for you tyler how does the christopher hitchens thing relate to that song because i thought i remembered you saying at some point that he had something to do with the lyrics or am i getting that totally wrong it's the next song born sick oh, and commanded okay. well oh okay but nice segue rob that's good Th thank you <laughs> abby is it okay if we go to the next song Sure. Born sick and commanded well. I'm folding in, moving on again. I don't think I can make it. Another friend. Shuffle off and in I don't think I can take it 
That's a direct quote from Christopher Hitchens. And a lot of the lines are inspired by Hitch, Hitch's uh, atheist talks that he gave. Like, uh, you know, all the while, with cross-armed cross -armed indifference, all the while, it comes directly from Christopher Hitchens. Um, there is no totalitarian solution to these problems. There is no big brother in the sky. It is a horrible idea that there is somebody who owns us, who makes us, who supervises us, waking and sleeping, who knows our thoughts, who can convict us of thought crime, who can judge us while we sleep for things that might occur to us in our dreams, who can create us sick, as apparently we are, and then order us on pain of eternal torture to be well again. Th to demand this, to wish this to be true, is to wish to live as an abject slave. It is a wonderful thing, in my submission, that we now have enough information, enough intelligence, and I hope enough intellectual and moral courage to say that this ghastly proposition is founded on a lie, and to celebrate that fact. And I invite you to join me in doing so. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, I was a big Hitch fan for a long time, and uh, he definitely inspired most of the lyrics on that. A lot of them are just direct quotes from him. The, and then the I should temple, give a shout out to, uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I, the tempo and the sparse drumming is, I, I love that about that particular song. Um, we didn't use, uh, we never have on any visit albums. We've never used a click track. Um, and a lot of people who don't play drums don't know that it's much harder to play slow um, than it is to play, you know, just to do a barn burner and cause everything kind of mixes together and you get away with a lot of shit. But uh, a really slow uh, kind of song like that, that legs sort of on the back end of each beat, uh, it's hard to do. Uh, and it, I just, it came out so nice when the way that you guys came back and put everything on top of that, that, that original kind of heavy leggy thing that I was trying to get done uh, in the studio here you just never know how that's going to translate. And you guys stayed in that pocket afterwards when you put everything on top of it. And I'm, that's, that's so impressive to me that you guys are able to keep that feel after uh, I recorded it here. It's awesome. I remember in the studio, that was one of the hardest ones for us to record. And I remember uh, Clint giving me that look like, you motherfucker. Um, yes, absolutely. After we had done three takes of it, and you just like, oh, we got to do one more. And he was just like, I, you know, because there's so many damn parts to it, and it builds so slowly. Um, but yeah. like the pro that he is, of, he knocked it out of the park. There was a lot of, yeah, the, the look was, are you fucking serious? There was a lot of that look. And then I don't know how many people know that uh, I, we tracked it, all the drums were tracked in one day. So, uh, it was a very long day, um, and the frustrating thing about that is that, like anyone, all, all you, so many of you musicians on this, uh, you are limited with how many risks you can take because you have to get the take, you know? So it's like, oh, I have this really cool idea to set it up in this way, 
Um, but if it doesn't work, then we got to back the whole fucking thing up and start over. So you, it's, it's a weird mixture of playing it safe so you can get the job done, but then also trying to do interesting things that when I hear it later, I'm not like, God, you phoned this whole thing in, you piece of shit. Like it's making sure that I did some things on it that when I hear it later, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a groovy little thing right there that I had time to figure out in the studio and, and get done. But it was a long day. God damn. Yeah, and we didn't actually get a rehearsal because uh, I missed my flight the previous day. I was we were I was supposed to get in the previous day, and we were supposed to have a rehearsal to run these tunes. And um, there was a plane crash at the airport. You know, not a not a really bad one, but there was enough to delay things. And then there was a snowstorm, and I just spent the whole day drinking at the airport. And I think I finally got on a flight at like eleven o'clock at night. It was a red eye. And Clint picked me up at like seven o'clock in the morning and we went straight to the studio and started recording. So we didn't even get a chance to rehearse any of the tunes. No. So. <laughs> that's for, that's for pussies anyways. <laughs> Whenever I hear that song, I want to start marching. We want to start marching all the time anyways. So that's nothing special. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to shout out uh, LaDonna Burns, who is, did the great backing vocal on that and, 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 the, and the climax of the song. She's this amazing um, singer in New York that um, has been on two Visit albums now, and she, she definitely uh, knocked it out of the park for the climax of that so song. So good. So good. LaDonna Burns. All uh, right, how about Body Electric? I'm going to sing my body electric way out of the grid I'm gonna move way out in the country just like my mama did she couldn't take her You know it was bound to break I'm gonna sing my body electric And keep this heart well hit So that was commissioned by uh, the same woman I co-wrote Sept Love uh, by. She had this kind of telephone idea for a s artist. So her idea was body electric. And so she gave me that idea and I was, and I created a song and then we passed it on to her brother. And the idea was that it was going to keep passing on. Then it would make this body of work. Um, her brother got this song and he was like, I don't know what the fuck to do with this. And that was the end of the, the collective project, but the song stuck. And the song's really about, like, uh, I had bought a cabin in upstate New York, and it was about starting a new life, and it's about uh, our mom dying, um, tragically, uh, too young. Um, so it's about all those things, um, and going back to uh, nature and uh, the natural world and finding some solace in nature when nothing else quite makes sense. Just to bring the mood down to a somber level. Mm -hmm. 
Is there any reference in there to Walt Whitman? Uh, no. <laughs> Didn't he write a poem who, who, called who's Body that? Electric? <laughs> I was basing off that song from the Fame soundtrack, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, let's see. How about uh, I Don't Feel a Thing? So that was a, a um, just a drunken song that I wrote up, up at the cabin, and um, I co-wrote it. Uh, I, I had an idea for it, and then I wanted to collaborate with my friend Adam Lakes, who's a great musician and songwriter. And so we worked on that one quite a bit, and that that is the song that he sings on the album because I, you know, when we were writing it, it was like definitely this is in his range and in his emotive quiver. So uh, he's the star of that song. And uh, there's some great saxophone work on that, a great saxophone solo by this, I don't know, this guy's really kind of hard to work with. He's kind of a, a jerk, and I don't know, I'll just say it, just kind of an asshole, but um, he's a really talented saxophonist, and so um, I was really glad to get him on them. His name is Tud, Tud Barba, I think it's, he's a, some kind of a Dutch Dutch name or something, Tud, Tud Barba. Well, tell us more about Adam Lakes. So Adam Lakes is someone I've been collaborating musically with since 1999. I started out just being his engineer, um, working on his songs, and then we became songwriting partners for a while and actually lived together in Boulder. And then he moved to New York, and he still has a band in New York that I play lead guitar in. And we've been working on um, an album or two in the last couple of years, and he's a really great songwriter, great singer, uh, and really... Uh, he really captures the duende in his music and um, definitely somebody worth checking out. Rob, I remember you telling me that you were trying for a specific sound on this song. What sound were you going for? For some reason, the song reminded me of the sound of the Saturday Night Live band, like the, the 80s Saturday Night Live. <laughs> so I, I played the... Uh, bass part on that and I was totally trying to cop that sound when I was mixing the horns I think I sent uh, some notes to Mr. Mr. Bor Borba I can't pronounce his name either I don't know anyway um, <clears throat> like play play more like uh, Michael Brecker you know and, and to <laughs> which the, the response was fuck you you know Fuck That's Michael always the Brecker. response, though. <laughs> but then he sent me some more tracks, and uh, <laughs> out of spite, I think he out Brecker'd Brecker. Even it was incredible. 
And uh, yeah, so I was just trying to go for that like New York soul sound, and it was it was a ton of fun to try to cop that sound on that tune. Did you succeed? I love listening to it. I, I love it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I succeeded or not. We'll we'll have to send a copy to Will Lee and ask him if he thinks it's uh, we got close or not. But I, I feel like I got pretty close. Mm-hmm. Yes, Adam Lakes has a great voice, and uh, he does. I was thinking of inviting him, but I didn't want to make this party too big. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, my apologies to him for not inviting him here. But let's go on to Oh Yeah I. Oh yeah. Think I'm falling down Oh yeah Think I'm losing ground Oh but I'm Gonna fly Oh yeah Love don't hold me down Oh yeah I had a, a bit of a uh, writer's block for a while, so I was just like, oh, well, I'll just take a clip of a, another song as a, as a springboard. So, oh, yeah, I. Can anybody name that tune? Oh, yeah. Oh, Christ, what is that? <laughs> You're going to be very mad at yourself when, you, when I tell you. The Pogues. <laughs> it's not the Pogues? Okay. I want to hold your hand. Oh, uh, yeah. Beatles. Okay. Oh, yeah. Of mm. course. Mm. <laughs> Went with an obscure band. Yeah. <laughs> I use that. Uh, I've been using uh, Beatles middle eights in my EDM songs recently. Mm. Just in case I uh, don't have any ideas of my own. So you have this, just, just have this wacky A section, then all of a sudden it's like the middle section of Obla D. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, somebody's daddy now. I won't return to a time when all my buddies was the drinking kind. So let me lay to rest all your wives and your house. I'm Somebody's daddy now. Take away the drink. So that's a song. Uh, it's it's uh, one drinking buddy singing to another drinking buddy, but one of the drinking buddies has quit drinking. And the reason he quit drinking is because he's a father now. And I actually wrote this when I was still drinking a lot, <laughs> um, ironically. I guess if that's irony, I don't know. But I eventually quit drinking, so it became a true testament to my life. There's a lot of alcoholic listeners to this podcast. Uh, how did you quit drinking? I read this book by Alan Carr called The Plain and Simple uh, Way to Quit Drinking, and it just made sense. Um, luckily, I was fortunate enough to not have a physical addiction to alcohol, just a psychological one, so um, it was... 
I wouldn't say it was easy because I quit two days before Trump was elected. That was a really hard night to get through. Um, and there were lots of other hard nights that came after that. Uh, but uh, I'm very glad that I did. How about uh, teach you to break a heart? But oh, solemn wonder for all that longs to be. Time floating under the dry. This is a great segue to bring Stephen to the conversation because um, Stephen Affleck was visiting me in New York City when he worked in Washington, D.C. Um, for a weekend, and we spent the whole weekend making up songs. Uh, we have a, a group, a collective together um, that does all improvised music, and so we spent the weekend just making up music. And that night I had a dream where I wrote the last verse of Teach You to Break a Heart. And I woke up in the morning and I was like, oh, this is this is something worth keeping. Um, so this has happened to me a few times. I've been fortunate enough to have a dream uh, where I have a song so I can just record it. Um, and so that, that happened. Um, so Steve should really be credited as a co-author because he was uh, inspired that song, I think. What does the name Stephen Affleck mean to you? East love and understanding. Well, joining us now from... Do we say Boulder, Colorado? What little Close enough? What little Podunk town? Boulder and Golden. Yeah. When Elvis Costello posed the question, "What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding?" The answer is Stephen Affleck. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Get that all the time. Other than being an inspiration to your songwriting, uh, what else? Uh, what other role does Steve play on this album? Uh, well, Steve has been uh, a creative collaborator on so many aspects of this album and so many other things. Um, Steve has helped me create a lot of the videos um, for this album and also the previous album. He was the director of Wacky Coconuts and was a star of Wacky Coconuts, among many other people. Great video. On this video chat. And um, he's helped me shoot a bunch of videos in New York and came up with a lot of great ideas. He also uh, is a brilliant uh, painter and graphic designer, and um, he is responsible for the the be absolutely beautiful cover for this album. Yes, it's a great cover. Thank you. All right, well, Steve, what do you have to say for yourself? Um, yeah, I would, uh, the cover was also the painter Bellini from the Renaissance period, and I just kind of uh, tweaked it in a few ways, so I can't take all the credit, but uh, it was a lot of fun, and it's been a lot of fun making the videos as well, flying out to New York City and... Uh, Doing some filming's uh, been a blast. 
Taylor, do you want to mention your other musical project that uh, Steve is involved in? Uh, no. Because <laughs> that's an anonymous project where everyone gets to maintain their anonymity. It's kind of like an Alcoholics Anonymous, but it's a music anonymous. <laughs> so, so the things that people can hear on that radio station aren't traced back and charges aren't filed and, you know, people don't lose their jobs and things like that. So, but I recommend to this, uh, this podcast that they do an interview with that group, but I'm just not going to say who they are. Rob or Clint, do you have any questions for Steve? Clint has met Steve, but I don't know if Rob has met Steve before. No, I, we've never met. Um, but I, I will say again that I laughed really hard while watching the Wacky Coconuts video, and I think it was brilliant, really captured the spirit, and uh, it was incredibly entertain entertaining. I laughed for however long that song is, plus like in, probably an additional five minutes afterwards. So. <laughs> Good, solid 10 minutes of laughter. I couldn't say yes fast enough when Tyler asked me if I wanted to do that. You want to set up a green screen in your garage and be a complete fool for four minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I do most of the time anyway, so might as well record it. Right. And you were lucky enough to have two parts in that video. Yeah, I think we can all agree that the eagle is really the kind of the star <laughs> of the, the video. I thought that was you because I saw your crotch, so I recognized that immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, that's about the same size as an eagle's anatomy as well. So there's not, I wish it was, you know, <laughs> a Norwegian. What can I say, you know? And we should mention that uh, Steve is the... Uh, is the person locking a head or most of a head in the video. This is true. Yeah, left it in the closet that day. Yeah. Steve actually has two roles in that video too, so I really see the video as a kind of a fight to the death for attention between Clinton's Steve's two, <laughs> two avatars. Hundred <laughs> percent. All right, well we have one more song. It is called Ugly. Well, that song's uh, all about this guy named Michael Flanagan, um, who's one of the most beautiful people in the world. So it was kind of, uh, I don't know, hiding my true feelings. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, uh, we should get Michael and, and, my, and Tiffany in this conversation as well. But um, uh, I have no idea what that song is about or where it came from. I just uh, tried to make as wacky of a chord progression as possible. And ugly is what came out of it. 
It's like your giant steps. Right. <laughs> My <laughs> shitty giant steps. That's the other name for it. Shitty giant steps. <laughs> shitty but slow, so you can. It's not that hard to improvise over. <laughs> What does the name Michael Flanagan mean to you? Um, bear mush, Tupelo, and uh, sweet release. <clears throat> Good evening, Michael. Good evening. So what role did you play on this album? I'll be right back. Talk amongst yourself. <laughs> uh, what role do I play on the album? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I saw my name in the liner notes, and I was trying to remember what uh, what um, track I participated on. Um, apparently, I was backing vocals on one of those tracks. I can only remember back forty eight hours on any particular date. So uh, you know, I think the recording must have happened prior to the previous forty eight hours starting now. All right. Uh, when did you first meet Tyler Ribba? Uh, let's see. I'll have to go back beyond 48 hours for that. Um, we met at Naropa University in, uh, let's see, fall of 1995. Um, and we had a class, a couple of classes. 1985? Together. 95. Okay. 95. I yeah. didn't think you guys were that old. Yeah, I'm not sure what Tyler right. was doing uh in 85. We weren't aware of each other at that point. I was waiting around for you. <laughs> what does the phrase Val van Voss mean to you? Val van Voss. I know it was a song that it was words that came out of Tyler's mouth at some point, but I don't remember how we arrived at those three words. Perhaps Tyler remembers. Probably some. Maybe I'm mistaken, but didn't you have a, a musical group called Val van Voss? Oh, did we call the group that? See, I don't recall. But um, I think a lot of our songs came out of alliteration. We, we would just start saying words, and then another person would say a word that either rhymed with that or, or had some relationship to that sound, and we would arrive at. And then that would become the title of the song eventually. Well, I was lucky enough to attend Tyler's graduation concert in 1998. And my favorite part of the show was your and Tyler's duet. Yes. Do you remember I, that? I do remember that. I'm surprised to hear that that was your favorite. That was, um, I definitely struggled to get through that song. That was a cover of Note Vayas uh, by a Mexican group, which I can't remember the name of the group. Um, I've been trying to find that song ever since. I, I know. I've been where. Googling it for decades. Um, Note uh, Vayas? No te vayas. Yeah, it means uh, don't leave me, I think. Um, yeah, Flanagan, Michael Flanagan and I worked at a bagel shop together, and we were the only English-speaking guys. Well, there was one other guy named Glenn who worked there, but we listened to and absorbed a lot of um, uh, bachata and mariachi music, and one of the songs that was on constant play was No te vayas. And so that's what we decided to cover for my senior recital. But it's, it's basically, uh, that's the launching pad for improvisation. 
And so that's mainly what me and Michael have done together is improvise uh, songs for the last, God, what, how many years? Almost 30 freaking years. And Michael's one of the most talented musicians I know in the world. And um, one day the world will be blessed by an album of his music or, uh, or at least a live performance because he's been hoarding all of his, his talents in various uh, obscure locations like Lyons, Colorado, or Spokane, Washington, and now Port Townsend, Washington. Port Townsend, Washington, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I um, you know, improvisation is, is great to a certain point. And then if, if you, norm, normal people such as Tyler and others on this call would then go to the next step after improvisation, which is to form a, a structure of a song and then record it and then produce a final uh, result. But I've always just stayed in the improvisational realm and um so if you record me improvising then you'll get some sounds i suppose but a uh, finished product is just i take uh tyler i think as a as a mentor to perhaps get there someday i'd like to propose that uh michael uh lend his uh fingers to the next album and collaborate on the uh keyboard piano parts Oh, okay. I have an instrument. I'll definitely take you up on that. This is. Can I use this instrument as my main instrument? Nobody uh, wants to see your instrument, Michael. Just you, always, guys. you always do this. This is the gross part of the call. And you always... This will oh. be my instrument. It's a tiny... Look at that little guy. A tiny little synthesizer. That's cute. Yeah. I like so I'll just have to, nice. Yeah. Good for traveling. I'll come up with a costume to go with it, and, and uh, we'll go from there. I think Velvet Vice came out of Medallion. Sorry. Michael, have you ever met Clint? Yes, I've met Clint before. Twice, I think. Yeah. Yeah, not long enough. I'd like to hear the story of how you met Stephen Affleck. I don't think I've ever heard that story. Um, let's see. If you can imagine living in a college town called Boulder, Colorado, and the two colleges are CU Boulder and Naropa University, and then try to imagine different ways that those um, students from those two institutions might meet each other. Well, that's how we met. We met through just um, student housing, people living in apartment buildings. There's, you know, Naropa people living next door to CU people. And then they introduce friends to other friends, and that's how um, that's how Tyler and I came into contact with with Steve and the sort of CU group of um, you know all stars. That's the all, Mar all Marxist the right. reading of uh, how we came together. <laughs> I don't know if that's. <laughs> I think it was this girl Megan who we were all friends with, or we were friends with this beautiful girl named Megan, um, that Michael and. Is our, our my friend Jason Levis, who was a great drummer, uh, had glommed onto, and she lived in an apartment complex. And I think next door neighbor was Kern, and and uh, Steve was friends with Kern, and that's how we all met. That was the Christopher Hitchens uh, version. Of... <laughs> all right. Well, uh, what does the name Tiffany Burba mean to you? Tiffany Burba to me. I haven't no I've not... uh, to Tyler. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, what does that what does that name mean to you, Michael? <laughs> I have not had the pleasure of meeting Tiffany, um, um, 
but I, I understand that you are all um, family and uh, and now I'm living in, in your old area, your old haunt. Um, actually, I'm not far from um, from your where your father lives now. So maybe I'm part of the family in some way at this point. You can drop in any time. All right. Uh, oh, Rob, I know you've met Tiffany. Do you remember uh, that occasion? Uh, the, I think the last time I saw Tiffany was at a gig I played with Tyler in uh, North Portland. Uh, visit. Oh, yeah. Okay. And yeah, that was that was a fun one. That was a good one. Is that the first time you met Rob, Tyler? At the gig? No, I met Rob many times before. Okay. I think the first time I All met right. Rob was at your going, or as I should say yours, at uh, my brother Todd's going away <laughs> party. Um, and when you when uh, Todd lived with Rob, and there was a party for Todd, and uh, a going away party, and uh, Rob sang a duet with his friend, um, which I think they had a group together, and I was really impressed by the their song that they came up with and their harmonies and the uh, musicianship. And little did I know that uh, I'd be working with Rob so closely <laughs> later on. Uh, Stephen Affleck, have you met Tiffany before? Yes, I have a few times at uh, various gigs and whatnot. She's awesome. <laughs> All right. And Clint, how about you? Other than that, just that one time we did a, we took a road trip to the Black Hills together. Other than that, that's the only time we hung out, uh, but nothing other than that. <laughs> I'm trying to recall that. You're just going to drop that in the middle of this here? <laughs> Oh yeah, I just I took a road trip with your sister once. Yeah. Didn't tell you about it. <laughs> it's a great time. It was so fun. Yeah. We had a blast. <laughs>yeah, sorry. Uh, I didn't want to see my own face when I was doing this. I understand. I'm wearing a bathrobe. Oh. Just uh, how zero COVID policy has got me down. Don't even get dressed anymore. Well, uh, Tyler, uh, tell us a little bit about Tiffany. Tiffany is a great poet. Um, she has a great book of poems called uh, Meet Me Where I Left You. Um, and she continues to write great poetry and be a really big part of the Vancouver-Portland poetry scene. Um, she's always been a great sister to me and a great support and um, continues to be. And um, I couldn't ask for a better sister. I don't know what else to say. Considering that I'm your only sister, that you're stuck with me. Yes, I guess so. All right. Well, I, uh, I want to thank you all for coming today. In the final part uh, of this interview, I want everybody to give a recommendation. So this recommendation could be an album you've heard recently that you like, a book you're reading, a movie, a TV show, anything like that. I can start. Um, uh, the Rehearsal uh, is a great TV show about this guy who there's various people who are in awkward situations and they're having a real, they're struggling with how they're going to like, you know, break the news to somebody. 
And so he creates these whole sets of where the person's going to like tell somebody something they perfectly recreate it and they, they rehearse it and, and they try all these different scenarios and it just gets very, very, very surreal and um, like layer upon layer upon layer. And that show is pretty fascinating. I've been trying to listen to all the best albums of different decades. I listened to an album called Television by the band Marquee Moon. I've been enjoying that. Are you guys familiar with Marquee Moon? <laughs> no. Okay. Like well, you're thinking of Marquee Mark. <laughs> that's Marquee. How about Stephen Affleck? I'll be cheeky and very seriously recommend a brand new album just came out called Existential Hymns. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very good. Uh, how he about Tiffany? He took, Stephen took mine. Oh. <laughs> so it's okay, though. I've been listening to it on repeat. So uh, Tyler, Bryce, and I were cooking macaroni and cheese yesterday, and we listened to it about three times over, and uh, Bryce is very excited. So I gave him a copy because he was tired of waiting for his. So everybody's got one in Vancouver now. All right. Thank you. And I hope everybody's uh, making macaroni and cheese while they listen, because that's the intention. But I figured as much. <laughs> All right. Clint, how about you? Uh, the thing that is the freshest in my mind is the uh, Neil Brennan's Netflix special called Blocks. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Neil Brennan. He's a very brilliant uh, comedic writer and stand-up comic uh it's phenomenal it's just mm -hmm. highly recommend uh and then i'll also throw a quick plug out for i'm sure everyone's seen it at this point but if you haven't sat down and watched what bo burnham did over the pandemic watch that shit unbelievable locks himself in a room for i don't know how many months and doesn't leave and creates just a really really incredible piece of art on a, a lot of levels I don't know what it's called, but it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Uh, Michael Flanagan. Um, let's see. What do I recommend? <clears throat> um, uh, well, if you have any kind of um, toenail fungus or any sort of like athlete's foot, I would recommend putting like soap or soapy water between your toes every night before you go to bed. Uh, you might find in the morning that you have less um, itching. Um, all right. I heard yes. tea tree Very oil good. is really good for that too. Yes. Not to step on your Apple cider vinegar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Both of those things. Yeah. yeah. Also Listerine, but not the minty kind, but the one that tastes like alcohol. Okay. The one that smells uh, like I, Grandpa Jim. Right? Pretty much. You probably had athletes put in the mouth. <laughs> I did. I did lasers. I'll do a shout out for lasers. I did lasers. Lasers. Oh yeah. For 18 months, I went every about month and a half because when I sort of happened sometime through college, every single toenail was just horrifically full of fungus and terrible. It's a, it doesn't hurt. It's just very unsightly. And uh, lasers, man, that did it. It was incredible. This could be another album title too, Listerine Lasers. I'm going to take all this down. <laughs> so I've been... 
I've been noticing some uh, black-like fungus under my toenails now. I was wondering if I just crowdsource it real quick. What What do you guys think about that? What should I do about that? That's cancer. I could just... <laughs> just Amputation. Just Amputation. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Tree oil. <laughs> Only option. Yeah. Drink more water. Michael, I'd just like to say that uh, prevention is the best medicine. Yes, keep your feet dry. Right? Maybe use some oh, talcum keep, powder. Keep oh, talcum yes. powder. Okay. I have a, lot, a whole list now at this point. All right. Last but not least, other than tea tree oil, what do you recommend, Rob? So uh, at the beginning of November, I got COVID, which was really unfortunate because it's not even cool anymore. Like nobody cares that you get COVID anymore, which was kind of a bummer. Nobody did like a GoFundMe for me or anything. And so well, that kind of sucked. But then right after I got over the COVID, after I tested negative, I got about four days off and then I got the flu. So basically the whole month of November, I did nothing but watch television, uh, various shows, but I got totally sick of watching. I couldn't find anything I liked anymore. And this, this goes out to uh, Tyler specifically, but anybody else that's a fan of the third man, um, at some point in the late, well, no, the early 50s, um, <clears throat> Orson Welles did a radio show that's a prequel to the third man called The Lives of Harry Lyme, and it's incredible. It's really amazing, and uh, it sort of goes into, you know, how Harry Lyme ends up in Vienna and doing all the horrible things that he does there. So if you feel like just chilling out visually and not, you know, engaging your visual cortex, um, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's amazingly well-written, and, and Orson Welles is the voice of Harry Lyme in it and he writes it and you know he's a genius at producing radio so you know it's all the uh I don't know if you can use the term mise-en-scene with uh an audio program but it really really audially uh is set sets it sets a like very good at you know like uh peaking your imagination and visualizing what's happening so the lives of Harry Lyme highly recommend well, I should mention that uh, this idea for giving recommendations is from my favorite uh, podcast about the current events in China called the Seneca Podcast. I thought it'd be a fun thing to do. So uh, I'm going to let you guys go to bed. But if anybody has any final words, please speak them now. I'd just like to thank you, Abby, for uh, hosting this uh, joyous podcast for me just so I could hang out with my friends again. And my, my sister, of course, who's a, also a dear friend. Um, so thank you for hosting. And I love you all very much. Thank you all for being a part of this album and making it happen. Yeah, yeah. Pleasure. Tell us where we can buy your album. You can buy the album at existentialhymns.com forward slash store. It will be released on all platforms on December 8th. So you'll be able to hear it on Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, wherever you listen to your music. Brilliant work, everybody. Thank you. Stephen Affleck, final words. Thank you for the wonderful album. It's incredible. Right. All of you. Short and simple.
Tiffany, final words. I just am so impressed. Of course, you know, I know all of your names. It's nice to see your faces. Some of you I've met, but uh, the album is great from start to finish. Uh, I love all the songs, but Oh Yeah, I is probably my favorite right now, but that'll change. But just amazing, amazing music. Really proud of all of you. Thank you. Keep sharing your gift with the world. All right. Clint Carlson. Uh I'm proud of the album, and I'm really uh, excited to work on the next one. Um, and very grateful that I still, after this many years, am collaborating with Tyler, because I don't think I've ever worked with anyone who leaves everything so wide open. There's never been in the, you know, this is the third album, there's never been a single second ever where Tyler was like, play this kind of beat. It's never happened once, which is nuts. It's always just, here's the thing. And uh, what do you think is going to work with it? And it's so fun to create like that and appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Paper, scissors, stone. Michael and Rob. Three, two, one, scissors. go. Sure, we're sure, we're are sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about uh, Michael Flanagan? Okay, I'll go. Um... Yeah, I'm pleased to to find out that Tyler is a musician. I didn't realize until this evening. I'll definitely check out some of his music. Uh, it's on the internet, it sounds like. Who does your hair? Oh, I do my own hair. I purchase it on the internet. All right, last words, Rob Weston. Uh, I wanted to tell Tyler this quick story. So there's this old guy that hangs out at the Saturn Bar like in his 70s and he wears like a beret with like a communist pin on it and he was uh a touring bass player like way back in the day like in the 70s and 60s he's like has a million stories uh the last one he told me was about touring with the amboy dukes which was like uh ted nugent's early band and he liked to talk about what a like an asshole ted nugent was and anyway he's got a million stories like the real deal right and he's about the only person i know you sent me all those cds and he's about the only person i know that has a cd player so i gave larry a copy of the album and um like the next time i saw him he was like man you know that album was great rob and i gotta tell you something you, you ever heard of that band Steely Dan, like Walter Becker and Donald Fagan? You know what's great about their albums is they, they, they do all this stuff that makes you want to go back and listen to it again. And that's what this album did for me. So I just, I just wanted to give you that last thought. A compliment from a real old timer. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Great story. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Love you all. Bye. Bye-bye. Ciao. Bye-bye. Right. <laughs> Have a good night. At long last. The album 12 years in the making. It's finally Sent to you, Existential Hymns by Visit, a collection of lucky number 13 original songs for when you're feeling existential.
Existential Hymns is available via digital download, compact disc, or a limited edition audiophile double vinyl LP, specially mastered by industry legend Greg Calvi. Order your copy today through existentialhymns.com.